Welcome, everybody, to the Glass City Game Time Podcast. My name is Corey Crisson. This is the week we've pretty much all been waiting for. It's the University of Toledo and Bowling Green State University renewing the Battle of I-75 rivalry. They will be doing so Wednesday at 8 p.m., and you can watch the game on ESPNU. Joining me to talk on the Bowling Green State University end of things is Blade Sports writer Nick Petrovich. Hey, Nick, what's going on? How are you in these chilly fall afternoons? I am well. Thank you for asking. Of course. Uh, so Nick has been all over the BG beat as per usual, and this week leading up to the game, plenty of content produced by Mr. Petrovich on the Blade Sports page. You can check everything out on ToledoBlade.com and, of course, on the eBlade. This past week there had been previews, three things to watch, We've, of course, had the MAC coaches poll come out. And let's kind of start there with the coaches poll. Bowling Green picked fifth in the MAC East division. And really, that's no surprise. If you look at last year and you compare them to the rest of the teams in the league, the surprising thing, I think, in that poll was that Akron, who hasn't won a game in the last 15 years, got one vote for first place. We don't know who did it, but uh, they are projected to finish behind Bowling Green. So, Nick, that fifth projection, like I said, it seems very fair, but let's kind of take the angle of, is there a chance Bowling Green finishes better than fifth, and how could they do that in this six-game shortened season? Yeah, I think there's a chance. Um, The way that they have to do it, though, is they're probably going to have to beat – I mean, the whole thing starts with beating Akron, who uh, after going 0-12 last year, you might correctly guess, isn't particularly good at football. Uh, I think then you probably would move to Kent State, who looked like they took some steps forward last year. They beat up BG, but um, as far as the roster, they're probably the the closest one to BG in the division. And then you hope they pick somebody off. So maybe at that point that you're three and three, and then you finish in the middle of the East. Now doing all of that probably requires uh, the very large contingent of freshmen on this roster growing up real quick, and then Matt McDonald being an answer at quarterback. So you're going to need all of those things. You don't have a lot of time to figure it out. But then again, neither does anyone else. Perhaps they catch lightning in a bottle. You mentioned the plethora of freshmen that compose not just the roster, but also the offensive and defensive and, I guess, special teams uh, starting units. Matt McDonald is the key here. 22 years old, he's the inexperienced veteran, if you will. He hasn't played much football as of recent, at least in recent years. But Scott Luffler seems to have the utmost confidence in him. Of course, when Luffler was at Boston College, he recruited McDonald there. We know that backstory. What does Luffler see in McDonald that maybe we don't? Well, he, he found the guy that he wants to be able to run this system. And his system has, it has a ton of pre-stat motion. It uses a lot of deception. They're really big on tight ends. They have quite a few two tight end sets. And it's all predicated on timing and accuracy. And accuracy is probably McDonald's single biggest quality. Um, He's a better athlete than people know. He's capable of running some of the option concepts if they want to do it a little bit. But he can get the ball distributed in a hurry. 
which is why, why Leffler likes him. I talked to his high school position coach, Rob Johnson, who played in the NFL, and he said when Leffler came to work him out, when he was still the BC um, offensive coordinator, that McDonald looked like a ball machine on that day. So that's probably the thing that he's best at. When he needs to get the ball somewhere in a tight spot, he has shown he is capable of doing that, at least in practice. Of course, McDonald was going to be the starter last year if the NCAA waiver that uh, he applied for went through, but unfortunately for him, it didn't, so he had to sit out last year. It helps that he has two all-MAC weapons on that offense, in tight end Quinton Morris and running back Andrew Clare. How big are those two players' impacts going to be this season? I mean, they're going to be the two things that he will probably rely upon the most in terms of distributing the ball. And that was, that was the problem last year is that teams realized, especially by the end of the year when Bowling Green started to get beaten up, once they took Grant Loy out of the running equation, Bowling Green didn't have another answer. So this year, if and when they can establish a running game and when Claire can play, He's a difference-making running back. A couple years ago when he was – I think it was his first year at BG, he finished like fifth in the country according to pro football focus in yards after contact. He's a really shifty running back, and when he's been out there, he's been really good. The problem is he had a foot injury most of last year and couldn't get out there. Then Morris, I think, is going to have a pretty good argument to be the best tight end in the MAC. I think he's probably a senior bowl candidate at the end. And I wouldn't be surprised if he's drafted next spring. So it helps to have those type of weapons. And in recent seasons, with the exception of, you know, poor Scotty Miller trying to hold it together on a team that wasn't very good, there just hasn't been a lot of that. So you mentioned Scotty Miller, and that's who I kind of wanted to go back to. Really, that was the last offensive weapon for Bowling Green. Of course, he's in the NFL now playing for Tampa Bay with Tom Brady as his quarterback. That's not a bad gig in itself. Really, since Miller's departure, Morris, of course, a talented tight end, but at the wide receiver position, somebody has yet to step up. Who is a name or who are maybe a couple of names that could eke up the depth chart this year and start to show flashes of their talent? They don't really – that's, that's a position where they don't have a lot of answers. Uh, I think Julian Ortega-Jones, who's been here for a couple of years, has shown some flashes of doing this. Um, he had a really, really important year last year, if not catching the ball as a blocker and has really won himself a really solid place on the team. Other than that, I think there's quite a bit up in the air. Um, Noah Massey has been on the roster for a couple of years, didn't play a ton last year, but is, is a really talented kid. And then they have a couple of freshmen who are good. Javante Kinsey and Jalen Embry went to the same high school in Florida and they like both of them. They think both are good. And then they have Tyrone Broden, who is a pretty highly recruited guy in the class of 2019 that they got late in the process out of Detroit. Didn't play much last year. He needed like a full year in the weight room. They think he's going to play this year. Now, most of these guys have something like, I should say all of them have like 10 or fewer catches um, in the past couple of years. Some of them were playing high school football at this time last year. So what you're getting out of that group, your guess is as good as mine. So let's go into the Battle of I-75 season opener that we will see on Wednesday. Of course, last year, University of Toledo, heavy favorite, going into Dwight Perry Stadium. The Falcons win that football game 20-7. to 
You look at the game script, you look at the box score, BG outgaining Toledo in terms of total yards, in terms of total yards per play. They don't lose any fumbles. They take care of the football. Even though Bowling Green committed nine penalties compared to Toledo's two throughout the game, BG still wins by three scores. Looking at this year's game, both teams felt the need to tweak things at least a little bit. And, of course, with the University of Toledo bringing in two new defensive coaches, and later on this week, Ashley Bastock, who covers University of Toledo, and myself will talk about that when we preview the game from UT's end. But, Nick, BG, their defense the last couple of years, let's not sugarcoat it, has been dreadful. 38 points per game. And now here they come into this rivalry where they only allowed seven last season, and they look relatively solid defensively. How can Bowling Green replicate some of the aspects of last year's win this coming week on Wednesday? It starts with their defensive line, which last year played the best game it has played probably since their 15 MAC championship season. Their defensive line, it stopped Bryant Kobach, which I don't know that any of us expected them to get even within the same county is doing at this time last year. And once they stopped Toledo's running game, they started to get a disruptive pass rush. Um, They were able to use a lot of their defensive players to have the best special teams day they had of the year. Uh, And that's, it is hard to replicate that because they've gotten pushed around quite a bit because particularly in this game, because Toledo's offensive line has just been, I mean, it's not sugarcoated. It's been way better than their defensive line. Most of these years, um, that's going to take some time rebuilding the two lines is Leffler's foremost goal in recruiting, but that's done over the course of years. You usually don't recruit a kid who's ready to just be a monster um, on the offensive or defensive line in the first year. So they're still really, really early in that process. I think the defensive line is a little bit deeper than it was last year, but if you're going to win the game, um, it was won there last year. And I would bet that that's where it's going to be won again this year. Of course, Toledo had to use three quarterbacks in last year's game, uh, Guadagni, Peters, Carter. BG got to those quarterbacks five times in that game last year. And, of course, in the red zone, too. BG was efficient in the red zone. They scored on three of four chances, and UT scored on one of four. So even in the minor minutia of the game that people really don't take into account unless they look at the box score. BG did beat Toledo out in those facets as well. So you bring up the defensive lineman, linebacker, Colby Coleman is going to be a big factor. Does it start with shutting down the running game and then it opens up opportunities for that pass rush? How do you think, looking at Toledo's offense, at least from a BG perspective, how do you think Bowling Green is going to attack that Toledo front, that offensive line, and and cause that same amount of pressure that they did last year? They did it with a couple of, they did it with big plays last year. Then that was a huge part of the game. Toledo had been so explosive to that point, looked like the best team in the league. Toledo really didn't get anything in the way of big plays. Bowling Green had their two longest plays of the year to that point. You know, on their, in the first quarter, they had Grant Loy has a huge run in the, on the first play. Then he throws a huge touchdown to Bryson Denley later in the quarter. So you're going to need a couple of shot plays to hit. I think if you're Bowling Green, you have significantly less margin for error than Toledo does, because at this point, Toledo's roster is just significantly further ahead than where Bowling Green's is. So I think when you look at it from that perspective, 
Bowling Green knows that when it has the chance, you better take the punch and you better land it. And last year they did. It only took a little bit and it completely changed that game um, to where it was like everybody goes in expecting Toledo to just rock Bowling Green. It's going to be over in a hurry to Bowling Green through the first punch. And then there was really nothing fluky about it. It wasn't one of those games where you'd say, you know, how did they lose that game? Bowling Green won that game in almost every facet. Grant Loy, of course, 137 net rushing yards in that game too. Could Matt McDonald make the same or a similar impact with his legs? Probably not, but I think <laughs> he, he's capable of stealing first downs, which I think is what you, you ask of a quarterback. He doesn't necessarily have to be Michael Vick here, but it's when your quarterback gets out of the pocket and it's third and five, he can run for a first down and keep a drive going. I don't think he's going to run for over 100 against Toledo, but if you can keep a drive going, that's certainly important. Both teams have been very vocal about how important it is to get out in front in this game. And of course, to win it, you know, you, you want to start a six game slate. We learned today that in the Mid-American Conference, if you want to qualify, so to speak, for the title game, you have to play three games. We know players speak sometimes, but what are players saying about their attitude on the BGN going into this game? Well, I think there was something to be learned from last year uh, for a lot of them. I mean, everyone on that roster going into last year's game not a single one of them had ever beaten Toledo. And then this year you have quite a few kids that you're bringing into the mix who either played very little, who didn't play at all, or were in high school for Toledo's game. And a lot of what BG did kind of came from the top down from a, a senior class that had just never won. And Colby Coleman, who you mentioned earlier, said today, I wish I could relive that day every day. Uh, it was something that through a lot of losing at Bowling Green, they got a taste of what a win like that was. And it, it's kind of colored everything about what the program would like to be in the future. They got a little taste of how you do that. And they showed that for Toledo, at least for the Toledo game, they were able to get up and be the best version of themselves. Now, the challenge for them is trying to make it happen again every week after Toledo. But at least for this week, um, they've, they've created a blueprint for how to win a game like this. The often repeated theme for Bowling Green's football team, and we, we mentioned it briefly earlier, is the youth on this roster. A large number of freshmen are going to be starting. A large number of freshmen are going to be rotating in. Of course, they are, I believe, the youngest team in college football. Please correct me if I'm wrong. I don't have that note in front of me. Um, yeah, well, their roster is 60% freshmen. I have a hard time believing anyone with maybe the exception of Kansas is anywhere close to that. So there you go. So the thing that I appreciate about Scott Luffler is he knows and he's very candid about the fact that they are a young football team. What are, the, some, what are some of the conversations that you've had with him about the youth and how he's going to kind of manage and maybe even maneuver around that fact that there is a lot of inexperience on this roster? He said multiple times that the best thing about this team is that it's young and the worst thing about this team is that it's young. So he said that this is going to be fun, though, that he get, they get to mold the team exactly the way that they want. But I think they're well aware that this is going to come with some turbulence along the way. Because if you're putting, you know, first-time players, first-time starters out at cornerback, if you're rolling with two true freshman offensive linemen, you know, if you have kids who have literally never played a game debuting in, against Toledo, 
you're going to have moments where there are mistakes and they're expecting them. It's just a certain level they are expecting them. I think the Bowling Green, at least for this year, probably isn't going to measure its year in wins and losses, but in terms of growth. So they're well aware that they're in this situation. But Leffler used the word today, freebie, which I thought uh, was pretty fitting for how they feel about this year because no one's using eligibility. No one, mm -hmm. if you play this whole season, no matter what class you are, you're coming back in 2021 as the same class. So if you're a junior this year, you're going to be a junior next year. The NCAA has already said you don't have to use eligibility to play it. So in a lot of places where you'd like, where you normally say, let's save this guy, let's get him a year in the weight room, redshirt in this year, and then figure out where he's at. They can make this, that the kind of tiebreaker where they say, well, this year doesn't count as against his eligibility anyway. Let's get him some game experience. So I think they're just kind of leaning into it at this point. I think you wrote about it over the last couple of days here and mentioned that BG is playing with house money. They can do a lot of experimental things, especially let's say later on in the season, if, and that's an if, they are out of contention for the MAC championship game. Let's say they start experimenting with some different freshmen in different positions, or maybe they move an outside linebacker inside. I'm just making up an example, but do you see Luffler getting creative? Maybe that's lack of a better word, but in terms of trying to figure out what he has, and especially like you said, without players using eligibility up and using a year up this year, how creative do you think Luffler can get or will get with his roster this year? I think towards the end, particularly if he sees what he likes in the first three or so weeks, he might. I'm looking at a guy like a tight end from our area, north from North Baltimore, Levi Gazarek, had offers to go to Michigan State and Maryland. He's also a really good baseball player. He played quarterback in high school. He's a huge kid, but they kind of used him as like a wildcat quarterback. And they went to the playoffs, I think, for the first time ever. He's just a massive kid. And ideally, they would spend a year teaching him how to play tight end full time because he's at this point blocked people for three weeks. So that's a huge deal. But now you can sprinkle him out there and get him against, you know, real defensive linemen who are 21, 22 years old. That teaches you more than anything in practice ever could. So I think a lot of their thought process is, you know, why not? Let's give him a few snaps and see if, see how he does. What's your boldest prediction for the BG 2020 season? Um, I wrote the other day that I thought Matt McDonald is going to surpass BG's passing touchdowns in six games than the whole team had in 12 last year, which I think can be possible for two reasons. One is that they only threw nine touchdowns the whole year. And two, I think that they are onto something um, with him as a quarterback. So my prediction is he throws double digit touchdowns. That's a very fair possibility as well. If you, even if you say two a game, right, you're at 12. So maybe there's a game where he throws three. Maybe there's a couple of games he throws one, give or take. So that's certainly possible. Last but certainly not least, what is your prediction for Wednesday's game? I think Toledo's going to win. Toledo just has more things that I'm, I'm confident in as a, as a commodity. So I just think, I think Bowling Green will keep it close. Uh, but I don't expect them to pull it. I think a lot of the, what happened last year was Toledo would never say it, but I am uh, very convinced that they had overlooked Bowling Green and it completely sidetracked their year. I think everybody that came back is not going to let that happen again. 
um, given where the talent disparities are. So I think it'll be close um, to a point, but I think Toledo will pull away. I'm going to say 35-24. I haven't seen the betting odds. Have you? I have not seen a line. I I have not looked today, but uh, typically it's kind of weird because lines will come out on Sunday usually, but uh, I haven't seen any lines for next week. So I have not seen a a betting line for them. Given it's a home game, although in a weird year, I imagine Toledo's going to be getting in the neighborhood of somewhere between like 17 and 21 points, but we'll see. Yeah, I, I don't see anything either. That's why I asked. So uh, we'll see what that, how that happens. Uh, we'll see what, what, what happens when that comes out, I should say, later on this week. But uh, Nick, thanks for the insights. Of course, we always appreciate it. Thanks for the few minutes. And uh, we're looking forward to your coverage. Where can we find your coverage for the game this coming week? Well, I'll be everything in the, in the paper will be on ToledoBlade.com. Um, I'll also have my overflow stuff. Uh, slash some of my thoughts on uh, my Twitter account covering Bowling Green, which is Nick P. Blade. There you go. Nick, we're looking forward to it, and uh, good luck getting back out there. It's awesome that we get college football back here in in the MAC, and it's going to be a race certainly in the West Division. I I keep thinking Bowling Green's in the West Division, but it's not. But I'm talking about the West Division in terms of University of Toledo and that top heavy, uh, that top heavy division. But BG, Picked fifth to finish in the Mac East. We'll see how that shakes out. Nick, thanks for the time, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Right on. See ya.